0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is the Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not lay up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures. Do not be anxious about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does. Will be them. like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. 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 In heaven. Good morning church. If you got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be just in verse 4 this morning. Special welcome to any of you who might be visiting us for the first time, either here in person or maybe you're visiting even online. I know I ran into a few of you where this is your first uh, Sunday to actually physically be back with us, and so welcome I pray that, um, that the Lord has met you already in your time here. For those who are uh, unable or just not ready yet to attend in person, thank you so much for joining us online. We are in our third week in a, a sermon series on a sermon that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're calling that series As It Is. And we're in our second week. Uh, looking at these nine sayings that begin the sermon for Jesus. And uh, these nine sayings um, that all begin with the word blessed. And like we said last week, the word blessed uh, needs a couple more words to really fill out the the full meaning of what that word. It can also mean uh, happy or it can also mean successful. Uh, If you think about our modern definition of success, I think my favorite word to capture it is the word flourishing. And so Jesus is describing a kind of life that he says is flourishing. And so like we said last week, because the kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, those who follow Jesus have an upside down view of what makes life good. They have an upside down view of what counts as a flourishing life or a life that's thriving because many of the things that we see Jesus say here about being reviled or being poor in spirit or being pure in heart or being merciful uh, are things that are not Uh, according to the world we live in, the markers of what makes a life good or what makes a life flourish. Uh, But those who follow Jesus uh, believe that because of the kingdom that he's bringing, uh, our definition of the good life has changed. It's upside down to the way that that works in the world. And that is especially true about verse 4. That's especially true about the passage we're in this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, When I was four years old, my little brother was born, and my mom and dad knew early on in the pregnancy that there were problems. Uh, They knew that something was wrong, and by the time uh, his birthday came, they knew that they were going to have a little boy who was born with a birth defect called spina bifida, Uh, and that meant that his spine didn't develop properly uh, in the womb, and and he was going to be born uh, at least uh, paralyzed, but potentially worse than that. And so uh, he was born, and he was immediately taken to a different hospital than the one that he was born in for an emergency surgery that lasted several hours. And at the end of that surgery, like they expected, uh, my little brother, John Mark, he was alive, but he was uh, paralyzed from the waist down. He would never be able to walk, Uh, and he he also had a myriad of other problems that usually come with uh, the kind of birth defect that he had. Uh, I was four when he was born, so I don't remember much, if anything, of life before him, Uh, but I remember a lot of, of life When he was born, I remember a lot of those earliest of his days. I remember the day he came home from the hospital. Uh, I remember uh, my mom changing the bandages on his back where they stitched him up. Uh, I remember uh, mom and dad telling us that we couldn't hold him because he needed to heal and they didn't trust us, which makes sense. Uh, he also had uh, hydrocephalus, and so I remember uh, I was uh, running my fingers through his hair, and I found this bump on his head. It was a shunt that they had put in because of his hydrocephalus, and I will never forget the look on my dad's face when he looked me in the eye and said, don't you ever touch that, and if you touch that, I will ground you from life because it could really it could really hurt him, uh, and, and so life changed for the rollers, right? Our family changed. Uh, John Mark, his life is a gift. It's precious. Uh, it's wonderful. It still is, but also... Uh, He, in our home, living, growing up, was an everyday reminder that the world is just not how it's supposed to be. About a year, or every year or two, he would have another major surgery. He had 10 major operations before his 10th birthday. And so I spent a lot of my childhood in two different hospitals. I spent a lot of my childhood in children's in downtown Dallas and spent a lot of time in Scottish Rite. I liked children's best because the whole bottom floor was this huge train exhibit. If anyone's ever been there, I don't know if it's still there. Uh, And then also, I think it was children's, children has this huge Dallas Cowboys game room on the fourth floor, and when you walk in, you walk in, you have to walk through this huge Dallas Cowboys helmet, and the whole thing was decked out in in Cowboys stuff, and you could play games in there. And that was in the early to mid-90s, so that was when it was a great time to be a Cowboys fan. Now it's, well, blessed are those who mourn, I guess. But most of the time was spent there was not fun. Most of the time there wasn't games and trains. It was a a front row seat to some of the saddest things in life. Children's hospitals just shouldn't exist. We shouldn't need them. Uh, But they do, and, and they're filled with stories of some of the things that are just saddest in life and most heartbreaking, right? Children in pain, children with disabilities, children with diseases who know suffering at an age that just feels so unjust, and they know suffering and loss at an age that feels so premature, right? And so some of my earliest memories in life are seeing things both in my home and seeing things in hospitals that just aren't supposed to be, and just these reminders of how sad life can be. And so some of my earliest questions, the Lord in his mercy, he saved me really young, but some of my earliest questions had to do with how to reconcile what I believe about God with all the pain that was all around us. What is a Christian to do about suffering? How is a Christian to respond about suffering, about the brokenness in our world and in our lives? And, and there are times, probably like, like many of you, there were times when that question was accompanied with a lot of doubt. And maybe that question was more of an accusation against God. Like, how can I believe in a God who would allow such things, right? Right? It's a really common accusation against God in the face of suffering. Uh, If God were good and all-powerful, he would prevent pain, but he doesn't prevent pain, and so he must either not be good or he must not be powerful enough, and so he, at the very least, isn't worth worshiping, or maybe at most, he doesn't exist. And there were times where that accusation really troubled me, but but here's what I couldn't shake. This is just how I've, I've processed it in my relationship with God. What I couldn't shake is the problem with that. If God isn't good... If he doesn't exist, how do I even know what I think is suffering is actually suffering? How do we know that this is not how it's supposed to be without God? How does the world break, or how does the heart break that we live in a world where little brothers can't walk if we don't believe in a God that made them to run, right? How... How do we grieve a world where children need their own hospitals if we don't believe in a God who first made the world to not need them? And, and if he made the world to not need them, it's his goodness that is the standard by which we know things are not right. The moment, friends, the moment I accuse God of not being good or not being real because of suffering, I also accuse suffering of not mattering, of not having any meaning, because then I have no standard of goodness from which to critique pain, Right? I can't have it both ways. So the world is broken because of sin and God is good and God can have reasons for what he allows that are beyond our understanding. I've been helped by a lady named Joni Erickson Tata. Do you know her? She is a Christian speaker and author. When she was 17, she broke her neck in an accident and is paralyzed from the shoulders down with very little mobility in her arms. And what she says about what happened to her is this. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So I've learned and I'm still learning to lean into that mystery and to be honest about my doubts and honest about my struggles. But, but most of the time I've spent with this question, and it's the question I want to answer this morning, is what is a Christian who believes in God, who believes God is good, who believes that there's a mystery to why God allows what he allows? What is a Christian to do about suffering? What is a Christian to do about the brokenness in the world? And, and I think for some of us, If not all of us, this is a really timely question. I know that the last several months have been different for people. I know that not everyone has had the same experience. But for all of us, what we have either seen, been close to, or experienced ourselves uh, has been a season of loss over these past several months season of suffering over these past, there's been so much to be sad about. There's so much that's happened that's been sad, right? Some of the loss that's because of the pandemic, some of it just made more difficult because of the pandemic. Some people have lost jobs. Uh, Some there's just been relational pain and relational suffering and relational loss. Some have lost parents. Some dear sisters in our church have had miscarriages in the last few months. Some chronically ill. Some battling illness of the mind. Some suffering because of their own sin. And look, life can just be So painful. And what's a Christian to do? One who believes in Jesus, one who belongs to the kingdom, what is the response? How should we feel? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The response of those who hope in God, the response of those who live in a broken world, is to mourn what is broken to grieve over what's broken, to lament what's broken. And the kind of mourning Jesus has in mind, Jesus, there's a distinct uh, Christian definition that Jesus has in mind when he talks about mourning. It's something that's distinct to the people of God. It's not, when he says, blessed are those who mourn, it's not simply blessed are those who are sad. It's not simply, um, you know, those who who experience grief, right? Lots of people are sad over suffering, But this kind of mourning is a response that's only available to those who hope in God. Let me just offer a quick definition. Mourning, as Jesus has in mind, is when those who follow God belong to God. It's carrying our grief to God. It's carrying our grief to God. You see this all over the Psalms. Psalm 6, David is praying, he's singing to God, he's carrying his grief to God, and he says, my eyes waste away because of my grief. What he means is, I've cried so much, my eyes are older than the rest of my body. He is undone, but his mourning is directed to God. He is grieving, but he's carrying his grief To God and and those who belong to God that's how they respond to the brokenness in the world, to the brokenness in their own life they grieve but they carry that grief to God and that might sound friend, that might sound really simple that might even sound for some of us to be a bit unsatisfying but the point Jesus is making here is this, not everyone responds to what's wrong in the world by carrying their grief to God everyone suffers but not everyone mourns Everyone knows that the world's not how it should be, but not everyone carries their grief to God. Jesus is preaching to a people. He's on the hill north of the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. He's preaching to a people who have much to mourn. Israel is not as it was meant to be. The people are oppressed in their own land. The temple has been corrupted in many ways, and that's been their reality for hundreds of years. They were waiting for the Messiah, They were a people who were waiting for God to keep his promises. They were people who were waiting for a king, and in that waiting, they suffered. In that waiting, in that place of the world being broken, not as it's supposed to be, people died, and people were sick, and people sinned, and people were sinned against, and people were oppressed, and the right response to that, if you're someone who follows God, believes in God, the right response was to grieve that, to carry grief to God, but not everyone did In Luke 6, Jesus teaches largely the exact same sermon, but instead of just having the blessings, he also has woes. Listen to what he says in Luke 6, 25. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Is Jesus against eating? No. Is Jesus against laughing? No, he's not. Uh, Is he saying that you have to mourn all the time no matter what and there's nothing good going on? No, in fact, in Matthew 9, Jesus defends his disciples for not fasting and says they should not mourn while he's with them. What he does say, what he does mean is woe to those who dishonor the fact that this world is not what it's supposed to be. Woe to those who dishonor the fact that the world is still waiting for healing and never grieve what the world is missing. Those who see all the suffering around, those who see all the brokenness around, and they never enter into that place of mourning, they never carry grief to God, they only laugh, they only eat. You see this all over the prophets in Amos chapter six, verse six. It says this, woe to those who drink wine in bowls. I guess that was a thing. And anoint themselves with the finest oils, but do not mourn the ruin of Joseph. The ruin of Joseph was a way to describe the plight of Israel, that uh, the suffering of the people of God, that they had rebelled against God, that they were still waiting for God. And instead of mourning that brokenness, instead of mourning the pain that came in the waiting, some got drunk. And some splurged on expensive oils. They lived like there was nothing wrong. They partied like there was nothing to grieve. They were a people waiting for the Messiah, waiting for God's king. And the absence of that king, the absence of that God, meant pain for many and loss and disappointment. And some didn't mourn. Hear me. Some found a way to be fine in the brokenness. And when you live in a broken world and your only response is to laugh, And your only response is to eat and drink. There is no comfort from the king because there is no longing for the kingdom for those who don't mourn. But those who do, Who live in the waiting, they mourn what is broken, who look to God for help. You see an example of this in Luke chapter 2 with uh, Simeon, who's waiting for the consolation of Israel and gets to meet Jesus when uh, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple. He was one who was mourning, who was longing for God to make things right. And those who look to God, who carry the grief to God, it says that they are flourishing, they are blessed because in Jesus he brings comfort. And listen, our story is the same. If you remember the story that the sermon tells, we too are a people waiting for the king to come. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. In so many ways, the kingdom is present. In so many ways, the kingdom is pouring into the here and now, but we're waiting for Jesus to return. It is and it's not as it is on on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is already not yet in the ways that it's not hurt. The ways that it's not are are really painful. It's children's hospitals and disease and sin and miscarriages and unbelief and injustice. It's some of us who are chronically ill, some of us who are chronically depressed, suffering from our own sin, suffering from the sin of others, suffering because we live in a broken world. What are we to do? We are to mourn. We're to carry our grief to God. A people in waiting mourn what is broken and look to God for help, which means, Christian, it means that our lives together will be marked by moments of mourning and they'll be marked by seasons of mourning. It means we will never, no matter how good things might be going in our world, we will never be far from entering into mourning because the brokenness of the world is never far from any of us, especially if we have eyes to see, especially if we pay attention. And that's upside down. I feel, even now, friends, I feel some of the tension of how what I often expect of myself in this moment is to cheer people up. What I often expect of myself in this moment is to find ways that the word of God is going to turn maybe sadness into happiness. And it's because that's what's right side up in our world. The way that our world works, we live in a world that is pain avoidant. We live in a world that elevates positive emotions over negative emotions. Uh, We live in a world that says, don't be sad, be happy, right? A world that would look and say, Blessed are the ones who are laughing. Blessed are the ones drinking wine out of bowls and buying whatever they want. That's the good life. And those who are mourning, they just need space and they need time to get over it so they can enter back into the happiness, into the pursuit of happiness with all of us, right? If I'm mourning, it means some part of my life is failing. You think about what we expect from one another, even when we just simply ask someone how they're doing, right? What's the What's the expectation? Hey man, hadn't seen you in a while. How are you doing? I'm great. That's what you expect to hear, right? I'm doing good. Or if it's a dad, right? You'll get a dad line like, hey man, how are you? Better than I deserve, right? Something like that that just automatically comes back, right? Because that's the knee jerk reaction. Uh, but if you ever ask someone and what you get back is something that's difficult or negative, it's a shock to the system. Hey, how are you doing? I'm mourning, I'm grieving. Life has been awful. It's like, oh, um, no, 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 I was doing the thing. Like I was doing the, (laughs) how are you, I'm good thing, right? (laughs) I have a friend uh, who who will always ask me the question twice. Hey, man, how are you? I'm doing great. And he'll slow down. Hey, how are you doing? Because he knows the knee jerk is, is positivity, right? Our default in our culture is the default to positivity. And I think especially as Christians, we believe in some ways we're not allowed to not be doing well. We're not allowed to enter the place of mourning. It has to be all celebration and no sadness. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to know this world, to know my life is not as it should be. Sometimes mourning is the most Christian thing to do. John Stott says this, there are such things as Christian tears and too few of us cry them. Too few of us mourn. We prefer to respond to suffering in other ways. We prefer, our default is to respond to suffering in the wrong ways. And I think it'd be helpful to name them. There there are three wrong ways, I think, generally, that Christians especially can respond to suffering. One is to ignore it. One is to dishonor it. And the third is to idolize it. We ignore our suffering. And this could be ignoring suffering that happens for someone else that doesn't affect me. And so it's a problem of empathy or a lack of empathy. Last week, my two-year-old walked into my room. I'm still working from home uh, at least two or three days a week. And I, as she walked into my room, I reached for my coffee, and I knocked my coffee off of my desk, and it spilled all over the floor. It tumbled, like in, in slow motion, the worst kind of way. Spilled everywhere, splattered everywhere. And she froze, and she looked down at the ground at the mess, and then she pointed at me and ran out of the room. It's almost she's like, I f- it finally wasn't my fault, right? I didn't do it. Um, she knew she didn't do it, and she wasn't going to help me fix it. And I think that that's, in a hyper-individualized society, that's often how we respond to people when we, when we come in onto their suffering, when we stumble upon them suffering, right? It's not my mess. It is just so e- so much easier to run out of the room than to stay and help someone clean a mess that they're in, that they can't ignore, I think we also ignore suffering that happens to us. I was watching a basketball game a couple years ago and one of the players tore a ligament in his knee. I don't remember his name, but I remember the interview after the game. He tore it in the first quarter and then he played the rest of the game. And by the end of the game, everyone knew that he was hurt and he was interviewed after and he uh, he was asked a question, when did you know that you hurt your knee? And he said, I knew right when it happened. And the follow-up question was, then why did you stay in the game? And he said this, I knew if I stopped playing, I would have to deal with the injury. I think that's how many of us deal with our pain. Something hurts us. We hurt ourselves. Someone else hurts us. We get hurt because we live in a broken world, and then we just keep moving. Believing if I stop, I'll have to face the injury. And some of us needed to stop years ago and just kept running. Mom and dad got a divorce when you were young, and you never mourned. You never sat down. You just kept going. Maybe for some you sinned in your past or someone sinned against you and you knew the moment that it happened, something broke in you and you just set your face on being busy because if you sat down, you'd have to face it. Maybe some have been sick chronically ill ill for years, and it's not how it's supposed to be, but you never grieve that. You just shrug and say something like, this is my lot in life, which is a way to ignore what needs to be mourned. Some of you lost someone. You lost a child. You lost a friend. You lost a parent. You lost a spouse, someone who meant the world to you, and it felt like if you sat down and mourned, maybe you'd never get back up, and so you just kept moving, and what's so easy to believe is that if I ignore it, I won't be affected by it, and it's not true. Pain either transforms you or it gets transferred from you. You either heal or you hide. And hurt that we hide always becomes hurt that we heap onto everyone around us. You cannot heal from what you've never mourned over. You can't. God didn't make us any other way. Because it's in mourning, in carrying our grief to God, we find someone who doesn't just carry the hurt with us. We find someone who carries us while we hurt. We also dishonor suffering. We try and put some sort of spin on it because we live in a world that wants to find the silver lining in everything, that wants to dress everything up as if it's not as bad as it actually is. This is where I am so troubled by so much of the popular prosperity preaching that just goes viral every week. I won't mention names. I don't delight in disparaging anyone, but you often hear things in popular preaching like, are you in a valley? Well, you gotta go through the valley to get to the mountain, Or are you broken? Are things in your life broken? It's because you're about to get a breakthrough. What does that mean? If by that we mean that God meets us in our pain, then yes, that's true. If by that we mean God sustains us, then yes, that's true. We learn things through suffering that we wouldn't learn any other way. But it can often seem like that message is actually meant to help the insecure endure discomfort by promising better circumstances, but offers little to those who suffer who have no control over their circumstances. Look, not every valley turns into a mountain in this life. Not all brokenness becomes a breakthrough in this life. Some victims never get justice. Some relationships never reconcile. Sometimes people leave and never come back. Some children are born paralyzed and stay paralyzed. Some losses leave emptiness that nothing can fill. And I am not trying to be cynical and I'm not trying to come across as hopeless because I'm not hopeless. But there is a depth of hurt and brokenness that I refuse and the Bible refuses to dishonor with empty optimism. Some wounds won't heal till heaven, and some wrongs won't be righted until Jesus comes back. And the most Christian thing to do is not to force a smile, but to mourn, to carry grief to God. It's actually the most courageous thing to do, because mourning in the valley, it makes us sit down in what we would rather run from. It makes us face what we'd rather escape, and it sets our hope not on the mountain after the valley, not on the breakthrough after the breaking, but on Jesus, who walks with us in the valley, who is near to the brokenhearted. We don't ignore pain, we don't dishonor pain, and then also we don't idolize pain. Our suffering can easily take the place of God in our life and what has happened to me or what hurts me becomes the lens through which I see the world. And I never let my wounds become scars because I don't know who I am without my hurt. I don't mourn because mourning is actually hoping for better and I don't want better because if better comes, then I can no longer use my pain as a crutch. And that makes me cynical towards people, and that makes me cynical towards the good in my life. Some things in life are dark, some things are light, but because of my hurt and because pain has become my God, I call everything dark, and I dishonor the good, and I only grieve what's wrong. There is no gratitude for what's right, but to mourn is to humble myself before God. To carry my grief to God, believing I'm not defined by what I've done or what I've lost or what's been done to me, I'm defined by God. And so more than I'm a victim or more than I'm a sufferer, I am loved by God and I am saved by Jesus and I have a hope that is fixed in the heart of God and I don't let my grief carry me, I carry my grief to God. Blessed are those who mourn. There are such things as Christian tears, and Christian tears don't ignore suffering or dishonor suffering or idolize suffering. Christians mourn, and what that looks like is that looks like honesty with God in community with others. You see four things mourned in Scripture. We mourn sin. You see it all over the Bible. Psalm 32, David mourns his sin. He says he tried to keep silent, and keeping silent made him sick. And so he carried grief over his sin to God. He confessed his sin to God. And listen, friends, you cannot excuse your sin and mourn your sin at the same time. It's why one of the purest signs of repentance is grief. God, what have I done? We also mourn sin in other people's lives. You see Jesus do this when he weeps over Jerusalem. He mourns their sin of rejecting him, mourns their sin of rejecting the Messiah. Like the parent... And we have so many here at our church who grieve over children who are running from the Lord. I know men and women whose first prayer that they pray in any given day, the first prayer in the morning is a prayer of lament, pleading with God for their children to turn from sin, to receive grace and love and forgiveness. And that's the righteous response to unrighteousness. The righteous response to unrighteousness in someone else's life is to mourn. Oh, that more Christians responded to sin in other people's life, not by being judgmental, but by being broken, by being broken, by mourning. We mourn suffering in other people's lives. Look, I don't know love like the love of someone who will enter into your sadness with you, not to try to pull you out of it with pithy statements, but will enter it simply so you don't have to be alone in it. Citizens Church, you want to love somebody? You want to love somebody in a deep and meaningful way? Find your saddest friend and sit with them in their sadness. Find someone who is just at the very bottom of what is most broken and sit with them in their brokenness. Well, how do I make them happy? That's not the point. That's not your job. How do I answer all their questions? By being honest about the mysteries that you and I don't know and sitting with them among all the unanswered questions, pointing them to Jesus. And we also mourn suffering in our own lives. Again, you see this in the Psalms. There's this raw honesty. God, how long? God, you've forsaken me. It's a prayer mourning the pain in our lives that believes God can handle my unfiltered grief and I trust him with my unfiltered grief. Jesus mourned the suffering he was about to endure in the garden. He wept, the physical pain that was coming for him in the cross, the spiritual pain that was coming for him, and he mourned to God with honesty. Look, God, if there's any other way that you can help, if there's any other way that you can do this, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn their sin. Blessed are those who mourn the sin in other people's lives. Blessed are those who mourn suffering in other people's lives. And blessed are those who mourn suffering in their own life. All of that exists because it's not on earth as it is in heaven. We are waiting for it to be made right. And in our waiting, there is pain. And we carry that grief to God. And what do we get? Comfort. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Jesus says the mourners are blessed. They are flourishing. Everyone suffers. Not everyone is comforted. Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is pouring into the present, and only the mourners are comforted because you do not long for the kingdom to come. If you don't mourn, it's absence today. But for those who do long and those who do mourn, what they get is they get the king. They get Jesus. Right before he preaches this sermon, Jesus preaches his first sermon. He preaches it from Luke's gospel, and this was his, in Luke's gospel, in in his sermon, he preaches this passage, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I love this. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Jesus comes to bring comfort. He preaches and he says, let me tell you why I'm here, to bind up, To put back together the brokenhearted, to find those in ashes and to replace those ashes, to exchange them for beauty, to find those who are grieving and to give them joy, to find those whose pain has given them a spirit of despair and to clothe them with praise. And I love the imagery of that last verse. Those who were weak from pain, those who could barely stand, those who the strong stepped over are called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They have been made strong in God. He has honored their mourning by making them a display of his glory. Jesus came to comfort those who are mourning. He came to be present with those who are mourning. He came to do something about the cause of mourning. He could have said it this way, blessed are those who mourn because they get me Blessed are those who mourn because it's the broken that I'm most near to. And that comfort, friends, is present and it's future. Because we live right now, the kingdom both is and it's not. It's here and it's not yet. And so in the present, there is still ash and still grief and still despair. But in mourning, we have comfort because it's in mourning that we have unique intimacy with Jesus what Paul calls the fellowship of his suffering. And God can and God has and God will heal now and he will restore now. I do believe that there is a way in which the future pours into the present to restore what's broken right now. But mostly, much of the comfort in the present is the comfort of those who find closeness to Jesus, the comfort of those who know that he's present. In fact, the refrain that I've heard from our brothers and sisters who have suffered most deeply is that I've found comfort knowing that he's with me. But uh, there is a day coming when all that's left is comfort. There's a day coming when Jesus returns, he restores. Revelation says about that day that there will be no more mourning There will be no such thing as Christian tears. It's the day when ashes get beauty and it's the day when despair gets a close of praise. It's it's, it's a day when Jesus takes everything that's sad and makes it untrue and everything that's broken and he puts it back together. Have you hoped for it? Have you longed for it when those who wanted so bad to have kids and mourned empty arms, those who wanted so bad to grow up in a healthy home and mourned what never was, those who lost the ones that they love and mourned the time that they'll never get, all that pain becomes joy and all that ash becomes beauty. And the King Jesus comes and to the mourners, to the one who lost, to the ones who heart broke, he lifts off the despair and he clothes them with garments of praise. I don't know all that there is to know about that day. But when I think about it, I know my first glance is going to be to Jesus. My first glance will be to see him face to face, to tell him I love him, to tell him thank you. And then my next glance will be to find my little brother and to watch as his legs feel the weight of his body for the first time. And to watch as he walks with Jesus and to watch as the scars that he carried becomes marks of God's faithfulness and to see him as an oak of righteousness planted for the glory and the splendor of God, one who was weak in this world, made strong in the world to come. And that day is coming, the day where mourning is overwhelmed by comfort and all that's left is healing and all that's left is peace and all that's left is joy and all that's left is laughter and all that's left is Jesus I can't wait until then we carry our grief to God we hope in him we find comfort in his presence blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted father we love you we thank you for your mercy we thank you for your grace Jesus, would you just end all of this? Would you just come in your love and in your victory and in your mercy and in your strength and in your compassion and in your empathy? Just come make it right. We invite you. We long for you. Our hope is in you. Just so eager for the day when it's all comfort and no mourning. So eager for the day when it's all peace and there's no fighting and there's no disease, and there's no difficulty, and there's nothing painful. It's just joy. Jesus, we miss you. We need you. And it is up to you, God, when that day comes. And so as those who wait, would you help us to wait well? Would you Help us, God, to carry our grief to you. Help us, God, to be honest, not to ignore, not to dishonor, not to idolize, but to carry our grief to you, O God, and find comfort in you, O God. To believe you, Jesus, that you're near to the brokenhearted. God, would you help us step out of our own little worlds and enter into the grieving of others and enter into the brokenness of others, God, to be with them in that. Break our hearts, God, over our sin, break us over the sin of others God help us to believe that sometimes the most faithful thing to do is to mourn the world that is because it's not as it's supposed to be and I know that you meet us I know that you're present with us I don't know who's listening online right now God I don't know who all the stories of those who are listening in the room right now Lord but I just pray God that you would lead us, if we need, into a place of mourning that we might find comfort, God. We love you. Do you hear me pray.